very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. A tragedy indeed that has brought itself all the way to Corthune. We're looking at that on today's programme. Today also we're joined by Susan McMonigal and we're looking indeed at the UNHCR. We are really lifting the bonnet when it comes to refugees and uh, what they can and cannot get from there. The ATU are joining us today in the programme as well, Fiona Kelly, and we're looking at uh, CEO applications there. Today also we're looking at a solution that's been found for a long-running sag- uh, sag indeed in Belclear. You actually won't believe how much this saga has cost. Also on today's programme, we'll be looking at uh, Tonta, indeed a brand new Irish language and bilingual um, St. Bridges Weekend event, which is great fun, I have to say. Dave McCarthy joins us with finance. Sergeant Mick Walsh joins us. And much more between now and 12 midday. A very good morning to you. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us today, we'd love to hear from you, each and every one of you, on 86 55.3 and do get in contact with us or call us also please on 091-770-077 and do so straight away today. And again, if you have queries, uh, not queries, but if you want to get texts into us about the whole situation about refugees, today's the day to do it on that number. Send them in to us because we are lifting and going under the bonnet of what people's perception is and what actually is happening uh, when it comes to refugees. So stay tuned for details on that. It's coming the way very, very shortly. Uh, so we will get to it. Uh, and again, those numbers again, 86 33 if you want to get in contact with us. Now, it was with a great and heavy, I don't know, was it, it brought back personal memories? Um, but again, anybody that loses a loved one, uh, it's a tragedy, so it is. And anybody that has lost a loved one uh, through any method... Uh, but specifically, indeed, I'm talking about the family, indeed, uh, of a cartoon woman who was um, at a bus stop in Victoria Station in London. And again, we don't know what happened, but unfortunately, and uh, she lost her life, so she did. But again, family members of the woman killed in the central London bus uh, crash have paid tribute to their beloved daughter, sister and partner. Her name is Catherine Finnegan, but she, know, she was known as Kathleen. And she died after she was hit by a bus at Victoria bus station on Monday morning. She was young, so she was much younger than me, and uh, died at the scene, despite efforts of land and air ambulance crews as well. But her family had uh, today, in their true spirit, indeed, the Finnegan family uh, of Corthune, and they're big, big business people down there. Uh, but her family paid uh, tribute via the Metropolitan Police and said, Our beloved daughter, sister, partner, most adored auntie and treasured friend, uh, Catherine Finnegan, known as Kathleen, lost her life on the 29th of January. That's just last Monday, Lens. Really and truly. Let me go to Councillor Peter Roach, who joins me on the line. Peter, uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. How Thanks. are you? Uh, you know the family, you know the extended area, and Corthune is in shock with this. Yeah, and it, you know, Keith, it just tells you how fickle life is, you know, um, and how, you know, that phone call that you get um, can drastically change everything um, in your life. Um Personally, I didn't know Catherine or Kathleen, but um, I know the family awfully well. Um, a very, very, very hardworking, very decent, very popular family, you might say, in Cartoon. Um, you have Austin there that's involved with the uh, sand business, and John, Merton, Mary, Eileen, and Theresa, and of course, Kathleen was the youngest a sibling of that family on the stand. And... Um, you know it's devastating because um, obviously if if a tragedy like that occurs here you you're you're there instantly or within a couple of hours but when it mm-hmm. happens on a different island you know you're sort of somewhat helpless in many ways in terms of you know understanding what has happened and and I suppose the need to be there or the, 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 you feel the need to be there but the want um, to be there yeah 
Yeah, and it, it's just it's it's just a calamity, and um, you know it's just you know you, you you consider for a second what what Kathleen was doing. She was heading on on her bus to go to work, and um, and then through bizarre circumstances, that the bus uh, didn't stop, and uh, Kathleen um, was tragically killed, and another person injured, and that's as fragile as as life is, and that's that dreaded news that has to descend on the family you know and and then you try and and reason with it and try and pick up and organize um what is the most tragic um circumstances organize a funeral for that loved one whether it be in great britain at this hour or whether it be um in ireland in, in the days to come but yeah our hearts go out to them um i would personally know a lot of the family and i i know that kathleen and catherine went to school in brownsgrove and did most of the family did so that area there today and indeed over the last day or two you, you know yourself um, oh, yeah. you know it, it kind of that sadness resonates right throughout that community and you feel a sense of helplessness and hopelessness and 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 despair and you ask all the questions that one would ask in a tragedy like that and there's no answers um it's just a freak of of you might say real freaky thing where yeah uh, just happened to be Kathleen at this at that moment it could have been anybody else um at any, you know, at that time, but um, it, for the Finnegan family, that's the tragedy that that has unfolded. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I, I met her because I've been many times with the uh, Galway Association in London at various events, mm. and, and I'm sure she was at them. And I'm sure I met her. Um, her, her face looks familiar to me. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah. and, and in, if somebody dies in England, it's, it nearly takes it takes more than a week to to get the remains home. So they're going they're going to be left with. All the hot ifs yeah, and the questions and all yeah, of that of for a week. Yeah, and 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 obviously and 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 rightly so, <clears throat> you know there'll be the the investigation into what happened, of course, um, and there'll be you know all of the the stuff pertaining to that event, and um, there will there will have to be absolute and complete, um, I suppose, disclosure and 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 you know closure also in terms of the circumstances before um you know poor Kathleen or, or Catherine can be released I suppose for our funeral and that's um that that in itself that wait um is is a desperate um period of time and um and the they're not being able to they're not being able to plan I, I'm I'm hoping um at this hour that maybe there may be some indication as to when uh, they can progress with 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 arrangements but for the family themselves it'll take a long time um for that to sink in and um you know that my knowledge is that um Kathleen had been speaking that morning very very early to one of her sisters um and that'll tell you you know her, i think something around seven o'clock um to have a conversation the, the usual conversation um and obviously two hours later she was gone to god so lady well, that was busy wanting to head to work um like any of us you know beavering away and trying to make a living and you know had set down her roots in in london and still had the time to be ringing home and coming home regularly to to her family and um yeah, it's it's just it, it it beggars belief that something as freaky as that can um, can have such devastating consequences, and that news has to arrive here, and you try and make make reason with it. It's Not awesome. easy, um, you know, any circumstances, but no. when it's when it's, when it's losing someone, it's it's, it's desperately sad. May she rest in peace. And I can tell you, the um, from calls we've got, 
uh, and we've got a few. Um, the, the family have great support in the area. They're well respected. They've good report. They've good support in the area, and they'll need that support not just for this week and next week, but for the months to come as well. And uh, for they all will, the family, no, just over the last few days, um, indeed the last few weeks, we've been um, watching, especially on social media. There's um, a huge fundraising event going on there in the community for the uh, Cartoon Shamrocks uh, Club, and and um, that you know that will have that will be a, a difficult um event now and, and i sincerely hope that um you know that inspiration can come from kathleen's death uh, for Absolutely. that event because it's just that done so far in preparation and i genuinely and sincerely hope that they can um, proceed with that and um, make a success out of it in, in in kathleen's memory and that's that's you know as much as one can wish for but um Absolutely. difficult difficult no matter where it happens no matter what community um, there's that ripple effect and there's that sadness and numbness that goes with that news that, you know, that people are just at, at a loss to understand and at a loss to know what to say and what to do in terms of supporting that grieving family um, and a family that's much respected and loved in, in their community. And we wish them, um, okay. you know, every success going forward and in dealing with that um, that tragedy. All right, Councillor Peter Roach, thank you for joining us and a text in. And it kind of just summarises how small the world is today. Keith, I went to secondary school with Kathleen. She was a sweetheart and lots of fun, RIP. And that's from a lady called Geraldine from the Headford area who went to school indeed with uh, Kathleen. Well, may she rest in peace and may the family just get some kind of solace indeed from the support that they're getting as well. Quick commercial break and we're going to the UNHCR next. Stay tuned for that. And if you have thoughts or processes and or otherwise on refugees, just stay tuned because we're about to lift the bonnet on how it operates and how it works. Stay tuned for that and more to come. Now, very good morning to you. We've spoken an awful lot about refugees coming into uh, this country for uh, the last long number of months indeed, over years indeed. And there's been a lot of misinformation out there. And I, I sat with a lady called Aoife last week, indeed, I told you about this, uh, from the UNHCR in Dublin. And she gave me, um, she kind of lifted the bonnet and she brought me in under the bonnet and showed me exactly how the whole thing operates. So there's no point in me trying to articulate my view. So what they've done is they've um, put forward Susan McManagill, who's the Senior Protection Associate with the UNHCR in Ireland. And Susan joins me on the line. We're going to give this time, by the way, today. Uh, but Susan joins me on the line today. Susan, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thank you so much for inviting us on. Thanks for joining us uh, today. I, I think it's important that the, uh, there's there's a lot of misinformation out there and the refugee and the asylum system, uh, we're going to explain it because um, immigration has become a very much a wedge issue uh, between communities, families and otherwise. It has, and that's why it's so good to have the opportunity to talk about it this morning. Um, there's a huge amount in the media, as you well know. Um, some correct information, but a lot incorrect. A lot of misunderstandings, a lot of fear around issues when there's probably no need for that fear. Um, so it's good to be able to explain things like what is an asylum seeker? Who are refugees? Yeah, Why I, I, are they coming here? Yeah, I think if we start there, if we start at how are they getting into this country? Um, and I mean, of course, the, the, the information we're getting on a constant basis, which Aoife did explain to me last week, you know, that they get on a plane somewhere, they have a passport, and when they get to Dublin Airport, they have no passport. And there's a lot of other information out there. But will you just take it from the beginning as to who they are, how they get here, and what function we have? 
Yeah, so look, there's plenty there to explain. So who they are, where they're coming from, it varies hugely. People are coming from a lot of different countries to Ireland in relatively small numbers. I should emphasize that um, there were about a million applications in Europe last year. Ireland received just over 13,000 of those, which is just over 1%. So comparatively, it's quite small. Um, If you're coming from the likes of Afghanistan, Sudan, maybe different places where there's conflict, where your life, your liberty are at risk, you could be persecuted, um, subjected to torture. It's likely that you won't actually have a passport or that it would be very, very difficult to get one. So that's the situation that most asylum seekers or refugees are facing and they have to resort to smugglers and very dangerous routes to actually get themselves to a border where they can say, it's not safe for me to return home, please give me protection here. It's for- um, so it's, it's, it's these dangers really that people are facing that are forcing them to take different routes, pay smugglers and so on to, to get them to safety. But Susan, it's fair to say that a lot of the people we're talking about cannot leave their own country. They're not allowed to leave their own yes. country. You're, you're absolutely right. So when we look at the number of people displaced around the world, and this is people who've actually been forced to leave their home, there's over 114 million. It's, it's jumped hugely over the past decade because there are so many conflicts ongoing, so many human rights abuses and instability. A lot of people stay in their own country. The vast majority of people who've actually been displaced from their home are still in their country. They're what we call internally displaced. Now, some, about 30 million or so, have managed to get across the border to another country and say, I need protection and they've been recognised in that country as needing protection, not being able to return home. And something a lot of people don't realise is the majority of refugees, like three quarters of the world's refugees are actually in low and middle income countries. They don't even make it as far as Europe or the US or Canada or elsewhere. Um, So it's low and middle income countries that are really bearing most of the responsibility and the burden for refugees. Um, you know, most don't manage to make these long journeys. And Susan, can I just come back then to all of the um, boating incidents that we hear about? I'm, I'm just going to go to the Mediterranean, just for the sake of going there, because mm-hmm. it's not that far away. And all of the people that have gotten on boats, paid money, died. We've had the Irish Navy down there trying to rescue people. Mm-hmm. These are all people that are fleeing, genuinely have to get out of their own country. That's the point. If you imagine what in your own situation or any listener, what are you fleeing from in order to take the risk of getting on a rickety boat, possibly without a life jacket or in the back of a refrigerated truck or to take these very long overland journeys going through countries like Libya, where there are very serious human rights abuses of of migrants and refugees. You have to consider what people are leaving behind. And and that's a really good point, Keith, that, that people are really fleeing danger. It could be because they are um, of a particular religion or political opinion and they're simply not safe at home because of that. It could be because of sexual orientation. In some countries like Afghanistan, simply being a woman at the moment can be dangerous. Um, So people really are fleeing serious dangers and they need the opportunity to be able to actually reach safety. So what we see is a big lack of safe routes for people to actually get to safety in places like Ireland or elsewhere. But that's the kind of message that we have to get out there. I mean, having spent a half an yeah. hour with Aoife last week, indeed, and she educating me, even though I would, but I suppose that you, you, you get, kind of get beaten down here on a daily basis by people ramming it down your throat that these people are only coming in to get our money and they're getting more money than they should be getting and why are they getting uh, social welfare and why are they being let in? And, you know, it's, it's really, when, when you see the picture that you're painting and Aoife painted to me last week, like, these people are, breathe a sigh of relief when they get into 
any country, including Ireland. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad you've raised that as well. I mean, when we go to centres and we meet refugees and asylum seekers, their prevailing attitude is gratitude. You know, people are so grateful just to be here and to have safety somewhere. Um, They've often gone through terrible things, not just at home, but actually en route to Ireland. They may have lost loved ones along the way. They had to leave people behind. They've suffered abuses. Um, People don't easily leave their home country. You know, none of us do, whether you're going to Australia for a job and you have, you know, the freedom and the choice to do that, or you're forced to leave your home because, you know, your life and your liberty are at risk. Um, that's what people are, are facing. And that's what's so important to understand. And again, the numbers are relatively small. When you look at Europe generally, when you look at the number of people arriving in Ireland for different reasons, while the numbers have increased here over the last couple of years, they're still relatively small. It can be manageable. Um, and the main thing that people want to do when they get here is to go through a fair process to have access to general safety, the right to work after a number of months because it's not immediate, um, some access to education, just like you or me or anyone else to just get on with their lives, contribute to society um, and to make the best of it. But it really is because they just don't have that choice to stay home safely. Indignity. Susan McMonagall is joining us from the UNHCR. She's Senior Protection Associate with the UNHCR in Dublin. Um, can can you take this one from me? And, and again, I get it every day, not just from this person, but yeah. busloads of young men is worrying. Can you address this question? Why are all these young males coming into our country? There's a simple answer. Yeah, there are families, there are young men as well. There's a big mixture in people coming in here. There are even, you know, children and teenagers arriving on their own, which is very worrying. Um, If you imagine what they've had to flee to take that journey on their own. Um, There's nothing innately problematic about young men, I would say, as a start. Um, It's often young men who may be at highest risk at home. Um, depending on what's happening in conflict in their country and who they could be forced to fight for, Um, perhaps sharing political opinions or religion as well. It's often young men who could be at greatest risk. They may be the ones who have the greatest capacity to actually leave. Um, They may be chosen by family because, you know, nobody else has a possibility to go. And it seems like if someone's going to undertake a dangerous journey, a young man might be safest, but they can face terrible things en route. Yeah. Um, you know, young men are coming here because of sexual orientation as well. If they were to be open about who they love at home, they'd be at, at serious risk, not just from the state, but maybe from family and friends. So the main thing is that people have access to processes here, that we have good processes in place. When people do arrive here, and they claim asylum, they go through a rigorous process, fingerprints are taken, photographs, they fill in a detailed questionnaire, they'll have a lengthy interview as well to really establish who they are, what their background is, why they're fleeing their country. And the officials in the Department of Justice do lots of research to understand Mm. what's happening in the home country and they can see, you know, are, are they actually in danger? And if so, Ireland has its obligation to provide safety to them that their own country can't provide for them. Can I come back to that in one moment, so if you don't mind, Susan yes. McGonagall? But I, I want to go to something else as well, which which has comes across the desk all the time. You know, these single young men, um, they're causing all sorts of trouble left, right and centre, which is grossly untrue. I mean, some of the statistics mm-hmm. that have been done in this country show that a very, very, very small amount of the people, that, the young men who come in, cause any trouble. All they want to do is get into education, get a life, better themselves and try and help those that they're left behind. 
that's all I see again when I meet people they're so grateful to be here they want to work as quickly as they can so that they can contribute and they're not sitting around every day just just waiting on a decision they want to educate themselves um, and there's no evidence whatsoever that these people are problematic like no I'm more than, than you or me people. or any listener yeah, there's, exactly. there's nothing to do with criminality or anything like that so you know it's um, we have to be realistic about just people coming here for safety um, and no other reason really. So just to clarify again Susan from the statistics that you have and we know that there's been some high profile cases of people who came into the country and did terrible things and all that that's fine but you're, t- you're saying to me that the majority of people who come in all they want is somewhere to put their head down education and they don't come to the attention of the Gardaí. Absolutely. And the Guardian have said that themselves. Commissioner Drew Harris as well has said that there's no evidence whatsoever to say that if there are more asylum seekers in a community, that there's an increase in crime. It's simply not true. And it's really important for people to understand that so that they're not sharing the wrong information because it can be detrimental to people. It, yeah. it, it could be dangerous for the young men themselves if they're perceived so badly and it's it's not true and it's not fair. And it's important for, for communities to have that reassurance as well, because most communities I think realistically are very welcoming. I mean, we've seen an amazing response to Ukrainian refugees coming in. 100%. So many other communities as well have said how they've, you know, benefited from multiculturalism, from more people around, from people entering the workforce and so on. So there's so many positives to focus on rather than these, you know, small kind of largely untrue stories okay. um, that people focus on. Can I can I come to you again, go back? So, so they arrive into Dublin mm. and again, um, the Chief Whip and Minister Hilliger Nocton told us this and she was tut-tutted that it didn't happen so we had to verify it with her again. Once they arrive in, they do not walk into the arrivals hall and just get on a bus and go where they want to in this country. There's a process there for them. They do not leave the airport until the process is completed. Yeah, people can start the process at the airport. That's correct. That's where they will first say, generally, if they do come in through the airport, it's not safe for me to return home. Um, I'm at risk of persecution, whatever it may be. And details will be taken and the process starts at that point. Um, And then the process continues at the International Protection Office um, just off Marion Square in Dublin, where the full application is processed, interviews are done, and it's that office that will make the decision. Um, And it can take over a year for some people to, Mm -hmm. to get that decision. How, how many, in other cases, it can be quicker. How many people that arrive and do the initial fingerprinting and photographs and all that, how many of them go to that international um, office then off Marion Square? Are, are there figures like that out there? Um, well, all asylum seekers will go to the IPO. Um, some to. will arrive directly at the IPO. Some come through the airport. I wouldn't have exact figures no, on, no, on how many are coming through the airport initially. But when people do go to the IPO to claim protection, they're asked for details on their travel route. So that's always shared with the authorities. They'll be asked, how did you arrive in Ireland? And they'll explain the full route from their home country to but, Ireland. But, so the authorities would have that information. But they're not hiring cars and they're not getting on trains and they're not getting buses and coming to the west of Ireland or anywhere else. They have to go through the process because otherwise they will be illegal in this country. Yeah, in order to be an asylum seeker, you have to go through that process. Okay. You know, it's under the law. We have an act um, since early 2017. You have to go through that particular process, be registered, fingerprinted, photographed, go through your questionnaire and all of that in order to be an applicant in this country. And again, today I was listening to the 7 o'clock news this morning and the uh, Gardaí indeed are going around and knocking on doors wondering if people who were asked, who had to be deported or asked to leave the country or otherwise, um, they're, they're actually checking that. 
do people get deported if they don't get legal status here? Or, or are they just living illegally in this country? No, deportations certainly happen and I think they have been increasing certainly in the years since COVID again, it has been increasing. Um, in ways it's a last resort, a lot of people will actually leave voluntarily. So they'll go through the full process generally. There is an appeals option as well. You know, the authorities look at whether they need international protection or there's another reason why they should be allowed to stay in Ireland. If there's no reason for a person to stay, you know, on, on legal or humanitarian grounds, there's no risk of persecution at home um, and they don't wish to return voluntarily, then perhaps deportation will be the last option. And if, yes, it does happen indeed. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a full system, really, a fully functioning system that at the end of that process, you do have either assisted voluntary return, which some people take up, um, or perhaps deportation in some cases. Can you come on a small journey with me, if you don't mind, uh, Susan McCormick, sure. please, if you don't mind. This is the journey I'm on most mornings, so yeah, I'm going to throw it there as well, because I have someone to share it with today. So I have the brainwashing going on this morning is disgusting on Galway BFM. Get that lady off the radio. There's a lot more going on. These refugees are in gangs in Galway, getting out of Mercedes cars and begging on the streets. Galway BFM needs to wake up, as does Stilligan. I think a lot of people have misunderstandings around who is who in a process. So very basically, a refugee is someone who has come to this country who has claimed international protection. So they've been an asylum seeker. They've gone through this full rigorous process that I've outlined of their questionnaire, their interview, their fingerprinting and everything else. And if they are from a country where they are at serious risk, um, if they have a particular profile, then they would be given refugee status because it would be against the law for Ireland to return somebody to a country where they're at risk of persecution or torture or anything like that. And that's the basics of it. It's it's what we'd call, I suppose, surrogate protection because a state can't provide it for their own national. Susan, these people that they're talking about this morning, that they want you off the radio, they want me off the radio now as well. They get that. Um... But I mean, these people could be legalised people that are living their life in Galway. And because they have a different colour of skin or they look differently, um, we're getting comments like this. Yeah, that's very problematic. You know, people people judge each other, I they suppose, assume. based on the surface without knowing what's going on underneath. And as I said, there's no evidence of any any higher rates of criminality among asylum seekers or anyone else's in the general yeah. population. Um, so what's really good sometimes is for people to actually get to know issues around refugees and asylum seekers, to maybe hear from people directly where possible. There's things like if people are interested, um, the small world is a podcast that's been released in the past few months um, by our office with the Useless Project. And there's just very human, normal, actually quite uplifting stories on it from refugees who are talking to the likes of Brendan Courtney um, or Louise McSharry um, and other Irish you know, personalities and influencers. So if people would like to know a little bit more about refugees and asylum seekers and their stories, um, Small World is a nice place to go okay. to um, just to hear about that. Uh, last one to you, if you don't mind. Before, Keith, we go down a rabbit hole of how wonderful all asylum seekers are and how bad anyone who dares question them are. Let's hear some facts. How many arrived in with no passports on planes they boarded with passports? How many people were refused admission have uh, disappeared? And how many are in multiple appeals over deportation? How many have entered Ireland after entering Europe at different countries? Well, if they entered a different country, they're sent back to that country, I think, if I'm correct there. 
Yeah, that can be the case. So there's something called the Dublin Regulation. It's an EU law. Um, some people misunderstand it and think that it obliges asylum seekers to stay in the first country they go to. What it's actually about is helping member states themselves, so EU countries, decide who's responsible for a claim. So it might be the case that a young person arrives in France, but they've actually got family in Ireland and maybe they should be reunited here or in France. It could be that they've come through another country and that country is actually responsible for their claim. Yeah. And this law allows the states to look at that. Um, so, do you know, it's good that people are asking questions, I suppose. That's that's very important. People have to ask questions, look for correct, accurate information as well if they do yeah. have concerns. There are government websites that have um, gotten really good in the past year or two with releasing a lot of their figures on applications, on um, how long it's taken to get through applications. UNHCR Ireland, we have a help page. It's primarily for people in the process, but there's information on it as well people okay. need it. So it's great to ask questions rather than, I suppose, making the wrong assumptions, assumptions perhaps, yeah. um, and spreading fears that might not be correct. Okay, so if they want to get further details, there's a video on the UNHCR uh, website you're saying from there if they want to go to that and uh, look that up. Oh. Department of Justice has uh, some uh, material there as well. And uh, Yeah, on, on the Department of Justice, on gov.ie and on UNHCR Ireland um, help page, we've information on the process as well. So lots of information sources out there if people want to get to the to the correct facts. Susan, sorry for holding you so long, but Susan McMonagall, uh, Senior Protection Associate with the UNHCR in Ireland. Uh, thank you indeed for joining us and the, and the questions keep coming and coming and coming. Uh, but um, we'll so come much, back Keith. to it again. Thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Uh, somebody just said, give us a figures, Keith. Don't just answer on the question. We are absolutely trying to do our flipping best this morning. And perhaps our best is not good enough for you this morning, but we're trying to give you the other side because we've done the other side as well. The negative side. So we're just we're trying to give you the other side. Quick commercial break, and we've uh, the ATU joining us next and uh, CEO applications. Oh, very good morning. Let me go to Fiona Kelly, who joins me because Fiona is marketing manager with the ATU, and she joins me on the line because this coming first uh, of February, indeed, CEO applications close, and she wants as many people as possible to go to the ATU. But she joins me on the line uh, today. Fiona, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Cindy, for joining us uh, today on the programme. Uh, what do you want them to do before the 1st of Feb? Yeah, so I suppose I'm mindful that the 1st of February deadline is approaching um, at 5.15 tomorrow. Um, a CAO deadline um, is, is coming towards us. And for those who maybe are mature applicants or possibly Leaving Cert students or maybe parents of Leaving Certificate students who are making their choices, to think about these options now as they approach the 1st of February. As you know, I suppose Atlantic Technological University is a nine campus university now. You know from my own accent that I'm not from Galway. Um, I'm originally from the Donegal campus, but we're all one now um, and spread across the West and Northwest region, I suppose, a, a span of uh, the regional Wales, really, in terms of our campus offerings. So um, in terms of what we offer across the campuses, it's broad and diverse. You have your broad disciplines of business, engineering, science, computing and design, but then we've niche programs at our various campuses. So the 1st of February is the central applications office deadline and and what that actually means is is that people who are making an application to come into first year of university whether that's ATU or it's University of Galway or it's UCD um, they need to be making it by the 1st of February deadline for restricted courses by that date uh, but generally speaking the cohort the broad back of people will be applying by the 1st of Feb even if it's just putting your name on the system yeah 
And it's important. I mean, first off, it's important to go through the whole prospectus indeed from the ATU because it's quite yeah. com- it is quite comprehensive. So I mean, it's it's a tomb, uh, but it, it's quite comprehensive. But there's something for everyone. But it's it's, yeah. it's to make it's to make the decision really, Fiona. It is, and like what we would say is, people like the. It's been a busy few weeks for us at ATU with back to back open evenings. Last night we had our ATU Sligo open evening, and today I'm based in Castlebar campus um, as well, talking about our upcoming events that are happening in our Mayo and Galway campuses now in March and April. But really, what people need to be doing at this point is looking at their options. The key thing when making a choice is research and really understanding what you're going to study. Sometimes people have perceptions about degree programs, whether that's from TV or it's from parents or it's from somebody that they once knew that took part in a course, but the key thing would be to do that research. So what we would say is identify what you're interested in, then lift the prospectus and take a look at the first, second, third and fourth year modules of a degree program and say to yourself, well, could I see myself in that degree program? Like, am I interested in physics or am I interested in maths or am I interested in nursing? Am I interested in caring for people? Really, it's identifying what your skill set is and then make your uh, decisions based on that. When you go into the CAO, what's great about us as a technological university is you can make 10 options for a level eight, which is an honours degree, and you can make 10 options for a level six, seven, which is a higher certificate and a bachelor's degree. And what's great about the technological university sector is, say for instance, you're worried about points and maybe not hitting the level eight points, then have a good backup plan in the sixes and sevens. So it's really, really important to think about your options and consider them. And for parents, maybe supporting someone making this decision over the next 24, 48 hours, don't panic either. If your young person in your home hasn't made choices on their CAO by the 1st of February, the CAO system will open up again for them on the 7th of May. And it allows them then from 7th May until the 1st of July to change their mind. And it's at that point what we would say is maybe touch base with us here at ATU with our schools engagement team and maybe book a campus tour, arrange to meet one of our academic teams, a current student in the programme that they're interested in and explore again that research piece and find out what it's really like to study at ATU. And it's brilliant to study at ATU and it's brilliant. It's <laughs> great to see so many people going into third level, so it is. And then some people yeah. are going into trades as well and through ATU as well. And they're going into yeah, culinary trades, right. so they are. They're going into other trades, they're going into engineering, they're going into all sorts of uh, trades. I mean, it's, there is so much there. There's such an offering and like that's the thing I think there's never been a better time to be a student no. making choices you know whether it's um, for example you're thinking about maybe not coming straight to us to university maybe considering the ETB sector you know Galway Roscommon ETB are fantastic as are Mayo Sligo Leitrim and Donegal ETB across our western region and we have new programs as well in partnership with them called the tertiary education programs that allow people who maybe aren't ready to take the leap and leave okay. their region to stay within the region so maybe you want to stay in Dunmore to do nursing. That's a possibility now. You do your one year in Dunmore and then you can go to our HU Mayo campus. So tertiary education is a possibility. As you mentioned and rightly so, we actually have one of the highest provisions of apprenticeship offerings in collaboration with Solace at HU. So whether it's electrical apprenticeships, craft or professional, um, HU has a significant range of apprenticeship programs as well. So again, that's something for everybody. And then for maybe mature students or people who maybe left education or maybe 
were an early school leaver, we have an access programme as well. And this access programme originally started in the Donegal campus, but it's been extended across our Galway Mayo and also our Sligo campuses from September. So say, for instance, you're somebody who thinks, well, God, I'd never be able to make a go with third level education. The access programme lets you dip your toe in getting back into the world of education. Good. And we really would promote that as well. And it's a free course. It's a one year programme, 60 credit. And a person then wouldn't actually be applying to the CAO. They'd be doing a direct entry into okay. our programmes at HU through access. So genuinely never a better time. Parents, if you have somebody in your world now making a CAO choice, know that they have until 17, 15 tomorrow, it's 45 euro to make that application. Okay. But if they don't make choices, all is not lost. The system then, once they're in it, allows them then to change their mind from the beginning of May. And okay. if they miss the deadline tomorrow, there is a late application window, but it's expense, much more expensive than okay. it is to do it now. Just don't miss it, Fiona. That's the bottom line. Aye, don't, don't miss aye, it. That, would be, that would be the advice. The don't one. miss it. You know, and I suppose you can't really miss it now. They've never been more informed okay. um, in terms of making choices. So thanks so much. Fiona Kelly, Marketing Manager with ATU in Castlebar today. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, today on the programme. And again, further details can be had from the very much interactive ATU website as well. Uh, again, just a, a, a comment that's come in. There's loads of them this morning, I have to say. Keith, what a loan of baloney that lady is talking. Here's an example. A group of Spanish people I got into conversation with about welfare in Spain uh, when unemployed, uh, this uh, caller said. Uh, they get the same as we do in Ireland for six months. I then asked, what do they do once welfare stops? They replied, go to Ireland, soft touch Ireland. So I don't even, and that comes from Jane, but I don't even understand that because if Spanish people are coming here, they're coming from the European Union, they're coming to here. And um, social welfare is the same right across the, um, the European Union. So I don't understand that. If Spanish people want to come here, go to Ireland, soft touch Ireland. There you go. Soft Touch Ireland. There's a song and that, so there is. Maybe not for this year's Eurovision, but there you go. Comment lines open if you want to get through to us. 086 33 For those of you that have been out of water in and around the Belclare area and Clanover area and Headford area and all of that, uh, many, many times over the last couple of years, there's a solution apparently on the way. Well, we hope so. Uh, Councillor Andrew Reddington will be joining us uh, just after the uh, 10 o'clock news. And we hope that he does have a resolution indeed to an ongoing problem with uh, two kilometres of um, piping in the area that's costing a fortune to maintain. We're back shortly. <laughs>